0: Would you pray with me? God, our Father, we come before you and we realize that it is not by ourselves that we can accomplish anything of lasting value, but through your son, Jesus. Yet because of who we are and because of the world we live in and the flesh we struggle with, it is so, so easy to try to do it all ourselves. And we end up frustrated and anxious and angry and bowed up with more pride than when we started. God, our Father, we pray that by your words that we'd study today, but most of all, by the movement of your Holy Spirit on our lives, that we'd be honest with you, honest with ourselves. We'd confess where we've sinned. We'd repent and turn from those sins. We'd be honest with someone else and seek accountability that we might be who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Stop. We have signs that say stop. You've probably said it to someone before. Stop. Maybe... You even gave them the stop it. Bob Newhart has a famous video where he says, stop it. Stop it right now. What we see today in our text, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, where we'll start, is the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body led by the Sadducees, the aristocratic minority part of the Sanhedrin, telling the apostles stop. It's the first hint of opposition and persecution to come. Yes, this Sanhedrin was the very same body who moved to put Jesus to death. This Sanhedrin that put Christ to death with the help of those in authority, the Romans and their government and power. Jesus said in John 15 that persecution would come. 2 Timothy 3.12, that says, All who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. 1 Peter 2.21 says that we are called for this. Just as Christ suffered, you too will suffer. And though most of us in the United States don't face persecution or suffering for our faith, did you know around the world, in an average year, almost 100,000 Christians in different nations of different cultures will lose their lives because of their Christian faith, they will be martyred because they believe in Jesus. Stop it. We continue our sermon series here, The Spirit, the Church, and the World. And what we're going to see today is that Peter was filled with the Spirit. And by his preaching, expanded the church even for- further as he opposed the world with the message of Jesus. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word today, would you do that as we read Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 22 together. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other members of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account for an act of kindness shown to this cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Verse 11. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows what they have done in this outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves, whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And further threats, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people we praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Thank you. You can be seated. Remember our context from last week. Peter and John are on the way to evening prayer in the temple. They were Jewish men and they were going to the Jewish hour of prayer even though they were followers of Jesus. They were still keeping that Jewish custom as completed Jews or fulfilled Jews. Messianic Jews, they'd call them today. And a man says to them, Can you give me money? He was a man that had been born crippled. His legs did not work. He was referred to as lame. We would call him disabled today. Peter and John say, look at me. The guy looks at him, he says, we don't have money to give you, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The dude gets up and walks, runs around, dances and jumps, goes into the temple court where he'd been banished before because of something that had happened to him. And now he is whole physically Because of this amazing miracle, a great crowd gathers. Peter uses that to preach. More people become believers in Jesus. And so now what we have happening in the beginning of chapter 4 is a continuation of that story. Because it's happening in the temple court, and because the Sadducees are part of the ruling party, they were aristocratic, they were more wealthy and educated. They only paid attention to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law, where the Pharisees that were their counterparts that made up the Sanhedrin or uh, believed in oral tradition as well. They're the ones that made, you know, all the 623 other rules. And they also believed in the resurrection. So the Sadducees couldn't rule or do anything without the Pharisees. So they needed one another. So they go to arrest Peter and John. Why? Because the Sadducees were accommodationist, They were not so much concerned with the religion or Jesus that uh, Peter and John were preaching, but the fact that if there was an uprising, the Romans would come in, the Romans would take over power, and the Sadducees would lose their power. They were just politicians, right? So they come in. Verse 1. It says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard... And the Sadducees came up to speak with Peter and John while they're still speaking with the people. They were greatly disturbed, it says there in verse 2, annoyed, exasperated at the apostles' teaching and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That got under their skin a little bit, right? But your first point on your outline is this be humble. Be humble when responding to opposition. We're going to see a progression here that's pretty cool, and it's a model for all of us. And this is another one of those things that makes me go, and this is the reason we study God's Word every week together. And this is the reason you need to read God's Word every day on your own and meditate on it, memorize on it. Even though the Bible was written from 6,000 to 2,000 years ago, it's still completely applicable today. Because the pattern you see here today is first, Peter and John were humble. Second, you see that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Third, you see that they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit. Fourth, they were able to be persistent based on that. But it all started with their humility. It all started with the way they responded when they were opposed and when they were treated unjustly. I don't know about you. When I see injustice, I get a little angry. When I am treated unjustly, I bow up. When I feel like you've done me wrong... You might see me act less than Christian. Yes, it's true. Be humble in responding to opposition. They were humble in sharing the gospel, bold while they did it, but humble in sharing it. But look at verse 3. It says, they seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. and John had a crowd of thousands of people with them. They could have said, we ain't going to jail and could have said, Fight these guys, you know, in the name of Jesus or something. They didn't. They went to jail. They were humble in the face of their opposition. Even when they were ill-treated and unjustly treated. Look at the little note inserted in verse 4 there. But many who heard the message believed in a number of men. Men grew to 5,000. Not that women and children don't count. Maybe men stand a little taller in the crowd and they're easier to pick. If the number of men grew to 5,000, imagine how many people were now followers of Jesus in this very short time. They were humble. And verse six or 5, 6, and 7 is kind of this interlude here where um, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, gives some explanation. The next day, the rulers, elders met together. Caiaphas was there. Annas was there. They, the one was the... High priest emeritus, the other was the current high priest, other members of the high priest family. And so, just giving some context. And so, what do they say? Verse 7 They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began their questioning with this By what power or what name did you do this? The Sadducees are the aristocrats, the wealthy guys in the ruling party. They're looking at Peter and John, they can hear their accents, they can see how they're dressed. Maybe something about their facial features. And they're going, these guys are hicks, man. These guys are from backwoods Galilee. What do they know? And so they know that Peter and John do not have the ability, the intelligence, the authority on their own to do a miracle and heal somebody and draw this kind of crowd. So they ask him, by what name did you do this? There was a belief that there could be names, not just the name of God, but others. And they want to know. What I love about this is that we see that Peter and John are humble, even when they know whose name, whose authority, and whose power. So I've got to ask us now, if humility is what we're after in our lives, what's the flip side of that? Jesus said in Luke 14, 11, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James says in chapter four verse six, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." James says in chapter four, verse 10, that God will lift you up if you are humble. So we know we should be humble." Ephesians 4:12 says, "Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, which leads to that question: When does my pride? show. When I don't get my way, when I'm challenged when I have to defend myself, I can be inflexible, I can be unkind. When pride is at the root, I get anxious, I worry, I get frustrated, I get upset, I get angry, I'm unforgiving. Don't you challenge me. Our pride shows, even though we know it shouldn't, and even though we struggle to take care of it ourselves, the thing is, we can't take care of it ourselves. Let's move on to the second point on our outline, and that second point is that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We start with the fact that they were humble in their response, but then we see in verse 8, 9, and 10 where they were filled with the Holy Spirit it says there very clearly in verse 8: Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Now keep in mind, this same council put Jesus to death. And he's speaking and he's going to speak to them. He says, We're being held accountable for this act of kindness shown to this man. You got to know it's in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, that this man was healed. Being filled with the Holy Spirit depends on the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can do on your own. Yes, you can ask, God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? But you can't make yourself be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can only be available to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's evidence of that in your life. Look at what he says there. That this man who's Standing here today, verse 9, evidence of the power of God, He was healed. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, well, it's hard to do. About 16 and a half years ago, I was in the question of, we'd served a church that we thought we might serve for the rest of our career, First Baptist Church of Venus, Texas. But I was quite clear that God was leading us to serve another church. I didn't ever imagine that would happen, but it did. And I'm talking to one of my mentors in the ministry, Dr. Elvin McCann. Dr. Elvin's one of those kind of guys with a godly kind of character that I want to attain to. And I said to Elvin, I said, Elvin, how do I discern God's will in this decision? He says, the first thing you have to do is the hardest thing you have to do. Of course, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. Listening to my mentor, he says, you have to empty yourself of self. I said, Elvin, how do I even do that? I mean, I know the Bible says stuff like that, right? He says it takes time and effort because it's natural for us in our flesh to want to be in control. But day by day, Scripture by Scripture, prayer by prayer, spiritual discipline by spiritual discipline, Trials and tribulations, you become more like Jesus. You empty yourself of self and you're filled with God by the Holy Spirit. and You become more like Jesus. Which leads to our second question. And that is, how do I empty myself? And I think I kind of just answered it, right? Pride, fear, control, those things are all natural. Faith, trust, Humility, those things are supernatural. We cannot do those on our own. We need God by His Holy Spirit to do it for us. We need prayer. We need Bible reading, memorization, meditation. We need to know God, know His ways. And that happens like any other relationship. Spending time over time. I get the privilege to do premarital counseling with couples on behalf of our church. And I always want to know how they got to know each other. When did they meet and how did their relationship grow? And then we just take it from there, right? Is there a point in time in your life when you know you've trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? And you know you've been saved and you know if you were to die today that you would go to heaven. Okay, you got that established, that's good. And then, can you tell me there's been growth in your life that you've become... More familiar with Jesus, not just stuff about him from the Bible, but more like him because you've been filled with his Holy Spirit. And day by day, experience by experience, you've emptied yourself of self. So you've been humbled, you've been filled by the Spirit. Let's move to our third point on our outline to now, and that's be bold. Be humble, be filled, but number three today is be bold. Be bold in proclaiming the gospel. Peter said to them in verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. Two negatives make a positive, right, mathematics? No one else, no other name. Under heaven, given to men by which we must be saved. Be bold in proclaiming Christ alone. Jesus is exclusive. There's no other way to heaven. This is not inclusivism. This is not pluralism. This is not universalism. This is not relativism. This is exclusivism and particularism. It is through Christ alone that you are saved. No other name given to men by which you must be saved. Be bold. Time with Jesus makes you bold. I love verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. But they had been with Jesus. It was spending time with Jesus that had changed these men. It wasn't that they went to a fancy school and had lots of letters after their name. It wasn't that they could speak eloquently or had nice clothes and the world thought, ooh, look at them. It was Jesus that changed them. Jesus made them bold. Verse 14. But since they could see the man that had been healed standing there, there was nothing they could say. The ruling council of the entire Jewish people, the smartest guys in the nation are there, and they are left speechless because a man was healed, and they had no answer for it. When you are being bold, you can let your life speak for itself. You let your actions speak for themselves. Yes, you've got to speak words of witness, but people see the difference in your life. With us, we've got a next step, and that next step is inviting others. They're on the wall out there. We talk about the things we do, that you follow Jesus as your Savior. You follow him through your life. You get baptized as a believer, and our third next step is to invite others Invite others into a relationship with you. Invite others to consider a relationship with Jesus. Invite others to church. Invite others to a Bible study small group so that they too might of Jesus in your boldness. You're humble. You're filled with the spirit. And you're bold. You're not in your face and mean about it, but bold in a humble sort of way, which leads. Why do I worry what others think if I'm honestly humble before God? If I'm emptying myself in order that I might be filled with the Holy Spirit and if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit in order that I might be bold, why do I worry what others think? Is it maybe because I didn't get the humility part right? Maybe because I didn't get the filling with the Holy Spirit part right? Because if I was humble enough and I was filled enough and Christ was in me enough, I should be bold enough, right? Right. So we got humble, we got filled, we got bold. The fourth point on your outline this morning be persistent. Not everything, not everybody changes like that. Some people, some situations take time, weeks, months, years, decades. Be persistent in your godly obedience. The Sanhedrin, led by the Sadducees, can't say anything against Peter and John because the man they healed is standing right there. Peter and John have preached boldly before them and told them there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. And then the Sanhedrin calls them back and they say, Stop speaking in this name. Stop it. Stop it. But Peter and John reply, verse 19, Judge for yourself whether it's right for us to obey you or obey God. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. What Jesus had done was so transformational in their lives. They were different men. They had been fishermen. They were unschooled and they were ordinary. But they had been made extraordinary. They had gone from natural to supernatural. They were filled with God's Spirit in such a way they would stand before the most powerful men in the land and proclaim with boldness, Jesus is the only way to salvation. They were persistent that they would not stop. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them. And the people were praising God. They were like, man, if we... Punish them, then we're gonna, the people will uprise and then we'll lose our power. See, they're all about their political power, like I said. Be persistent. Which leads to our fourth and final application question Who needs your witness of Jesus? Who needs my witness of Jesus? Who is it in my life that needs me to boldly proclaim Jesus? That if I won't do it for myself, who is it that I need to say, God, I love this person so much that I need to be able to share Jesus with them that I'm willing to seek to humble myself and empty myself of self. That I might be filled with the Holy Spirit. That you might give me boldness that I might speak. And that I might have persistence in that boldness not to stop, not to let up. Because I love that person enough, but more so, Lord God, because I love you enough. And you've commanded me to be humble, to be filled, to be bold, to be persistent. That step by step I become more like Jesus. Step by step I share Jesus with others because they need my witness. Because without Jesus, they're lost, going to eternal punishment and death and hell. When I ask that question, who needs my witness of Jesus? You probably need to write down a name. Writing it down somehow makes it more real. Maybe you have a journal. Maybe you already have names that you're praying for. Friends, neighbors, coworkers that you know are lost or you haven't had a gospel conversation with yet, but so you don't know and you need to. You need to list them. You need to pray for them persistently daily. And in your humility, be kindly, bold in sharing the gospel with them, not beating them over the head with the Bible, not being legalistic and self-righteous, not puffing yourself up, but kindly, lovingly representing the truth of God's word in a way that God's Holy Spirit can break through their defenses. Yeah, it's going to challenge you. Yeah, people might say, oh, yeah, and talk bad about you as a Christian. But who are you here to serve? People or God? Just like Peter and John. Judge for yourself whether it's right. Our March scripture verse we'll put on the screen. as our final point for today's sermon. And let's say that together. Acts 3.19 Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 3.19 Pray with me. God, our Father, we hear that scripture that says that we and all people should repent. We should turn our lives to Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. And it's our prayer adults, teenagers, children who have not yet confessed that they have sinned and asked Jesus to save them from their sins. Would they do that right now? And God, for those of us that are believers in Jesus, we struggle with taking control of our lives. We struggle with humility. We struggle with emptying ourselves that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we certainly struggle with boldness and persistence in our witness and our obedience to you. Whatever it is, God, may we surrender that to you right now. So, God, as we sing, may we be obedient to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.